Welcome to the Future Worlds podcast. Future Worlds is the on-campus startup accelerator at the University of Southampton. We help the aspiring founders at the university to change the world with their ideas. So I meet the most impressive and talented startup founders in the world just as they're getting started, as they're taking their ideas out of the lab and trying to get that kind of commercial traction that really turns them into a world-changing startup. And so this podcast shares with you the opportunity to meet the people behind the technologies, the people behind these startups, so that you can get to see behind the scenes and understand what it takes to go on this journey. And so today, it's a privilege to have Andre Dragomir, the founder of Aquark Technologies, come and share his story with us. Andre, uh, you founded Aquark Technologies, which is bringing in the quantum future. It's a quantum technology startup. Uh, and there's lots of hype around quantum. But maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit about what does quantum mean? Lots of people use the term, but what, what do we mean when we say quantum tech as a startup? Yes. Hi, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, indeed, uh, everybody seems to be using quantum today, either in the context of uh, you know real life or uh, a, a movie whenever anything cannot be explained. Uh, the truth is uh, quantum is a really general world. Quantum technology defines a general, uh, a wide range of technologies. And it has actually been with us for several tens of years now. And it offered us technologies, uh, including the processor as well, uh, the, the laser that we used to scan in our magazines. And now it's just uh, the same technology that takes a further step in its development. So we're uh, kind of moving towards using actual um, particles in in, uh, in inside the technologies where we're interacting directly with particles. And this is kind of what defines the new wave, the new generation of, of quantum technology. Uh, and that results in the very well-known quantum computer up until uh, less known uh, sensors, di different devices. And uh, um, that, that's kind of what defines the new kind of quantum technology definition that, that people could generally use now. And so there's a lot of development on the software and the computing side within quantum, but you in Aquark, you're focused much more on the hardware. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on in Aquark. So there, there is a bit of a differentiation between the, the uh, general use of quantum technology and what Aquark is trying to achieve. So generally, uh, people today, when, when they say uh, quantum technology, they Im immediately jump to the idea of a quantum computer. And whilst it's completely true, a quantum computer will definitely change our life in, in both the industry, medical care, um, running simulations of natures and, and of nature and so on and so forth, uh, which is why, as you mentioned, the, the market is full now with companies trying to uh, write software for the quantum computer, anticipating kind of a um, its arrival overall, because we're still not yet uh, there. Uh, we, we still need to wait about I don't know, maybe five, ten years away until actually we get the quantum computer. Um, but in in our case, actually, uh, Aquar Technologies uh, is trying to uh, look at what we already have well working in the lab. So what happened is that uh, both in UK and in the entire world, actually, there's been a massive waves a wave of um, funding from, especially from the government, from investors, all going into quantum technologies. And uh, whilst the quantum computer side of things is still kind of a bit further away, uh, the, the other devices that you can do with quantum technology, things like uh, um, uh, atomic clocks, things like uh, rotational sensor, gyroscopes, 
um, uh, inertial navigation systems and so on and so forth. They are actually quite, uh, they're working in the lab now. And uh, because of that massive surge of, of funding that happened throughout the world, now everyone sits in the lab with a big device that just uh, uh, works, uh, but you know it still steps away from actually being useful. Now, what Aquark is trying to achieve is to, uh, it, it, we're aiming to provide miniaturization and portability solutions for quantum technology applications. So our main goal is to miniaturize and take out of the lab those existing working prototypes of different sensors made with quantum technologies and actually put them into useful commercial applications. So, so tell me, if they're already there in the lab, they're already working. Why, why are we, why have we not got them out in society? What, what's the barrier to them getting out of the lab? Uh, the big problem with current systems is that, well, they generally, uh, you know, they, they're as uh, occupy the entire lab. They generally require two, three, four PhD students to run and actually, you know, uh, analyze the data to get a proper result, a proper, a useful result out of them. Uh, their extremely power requirement is like basically if you if we would try to um, take a device uh, out in the field now and and work with it is like carrying a trailer uh, at all times basically. Uh, so that's not really ideal for any commercial setting or application, uh, which is where Aquar come comes in to try to uh, take that that full room worth of of, uh, of technology and shrink it down to something that. Uh, it will fit in the in the palm of your hand. There's parallels with computing in the 60s that you would have a whole mainframe computer taking up a huge a whole floor of a building, and what we've now got with with an iPhone in our in our in our hand. I mean, it sounds incredible, isn't it? Just too good to be true. I mean, how can you talk of that kind of step forward? It, it does seem a bit too good to be true, to be honest. Uh, it, but we do have, uh, so the entire purpose of the research that we have done at Southampton was aimed exactly that. So what other, whilst other people around us were creating the sensors that currently sit in the labs, uh, we focused our efforts in the past 10 years on uh, uh, anticipating the creation of those devices. And we looked straight forward at miniaturizing them straight away. So. Uh, we took uh, the biggest components and we tackled them. Uh, so I believe now we kind of managed to to fix not everything, of course, but uh, the biggest components in terms of size, uh, the biggest uh, the biggest problems in terms of uh, power usage. So combining everything adds up to a much much smaller type of technology than than uh, what uh, a lab based quantum technology offers. Wow. So you, you talk about the last 10 years of research. This isn't the kind of startup where you hack together an app over a weekend, you put it in the store and, you know, it's going to lean startup trial and error and just see how it goes. Talk to me about what's sat behind the point that you're at now. Like, What's the journey look like over those 10 years? So, um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a long journey. Uh, definitely not not a weekend worth uh, worth of time. Um, it's uh, we started uh, about ten, if not fifteen years ago, um, with, with the exact idea of uh, my supervisor at the time had the exact idea of miniaturizing the the biggest component of quantum technology. So we uh, at that point he was already envisioning a future in which quantum technology will play play a huge role in our life. Um, and uh, he, he one of the biggest problems that uh, the society used to have in, in the our side, rest of the scientists 
used to have, uh, especially um, us in the, in the lab as well at that point. Uh, were the size of the vacuum system. So just taking a bit of st a step back here, a, a quantum device uh, based on cold atoms, which is what AQR technology does. Uh, there are different types of quantum technologies, but uh, AQR mainly focus on uh, on cold atoms overall. Has as three main components. We have we have electronics, we have a laser system, and we have the vacuum component. Now, out of all those three, the biggest one, the big big thing that that created a problem was the vacuum component, which is uh, generally kind of big stainless steel chambers that are 30, 40, maybe 60 kilograms. Uh, they take several hundreds of hours to to install. Uh, and to to uh, calibrate for uh, for actually uh, an application uh, in atomic physics, and um, uh, when we started that group overall, we uh, the entire purpose of the group was to solve ex exactly this particular issue. So we uh, from the beginning, everything that we did was focused on miniaturizing the vacuum component. Uh, now, obviously, we started there, but we branched out. So we, we got into the laser system as well, and we got into the, the electronics as well. And we ended, ended up miniaturizing the entire system that, that handles cold atom-based quantum technologies. Um, but that was the mainly the, the first step. And it took about uh, 10 years to, to just solve that one problem. Uh, and another two or three to to solve the rest of them, basically. And so this is very much a story of kind of grassroots innovation in the lab. You've been you've been focusing there on the research, and I know from talking with you, you've had a number of key breakthroughs along the way. At what point did you turn your mind into thinking, okay, this is more than just academic research. This is something that I want to take outside of the lab. This is something that I want to turn into a startup. Uh, there are actually a couple of things that happened that led me to to that conclusion. Well, and, and to be honest, actually, my first thought when when um, about seven years ago, when I first the first time I read my PhD description, uh, to be honest, I didn't really understand it. But then the second time I read it, uh, it was uh, I, I start grasping kind of what I was uh, supposed to do as a PhD student. The first thing that came to my mind was, "Wow! If this is if this is successful, then we're definitely that's uh, you know we can have an impact. We can do something with it. It's it's going to have a huge value if we can succeed in this." And uh, then as as things move along, basically, you know, just uh, we kind of did uh, baby steps progress in the, in uh, the research we were doing every day in the lab. Um, but at some point, actually, towards the end of my PhD, actually beginning of my my postdoc times at at the University of Southampton, um, we stumble upon a huge discovery. So when we moved from vacuum to to the laser system of our of our cold atom component, basically, um, <clears throat> we kind of made a huge discovery that allows us to accidental one that uh, that allows us to um, create. Uh, generate cold atoms without using magnetic fields. This this is huge, is new, and uh, it's completely novel. Nobody knows how, how nobody knows how to do it, and it kind of defies a law of physics overall. So that this is kind of what what brought everything together. That that point of discovery is what brought everything together, and that discovery actually sits now at the core of what AQR technology is trying to, to accomplish. Uh, now, around that time as well, my supervisor uh, changed jobs. 
so a kind of all the 10, 15 years of research that happened in the group kind of fell on my shoulders because I was the only postdoc of the group at that time. So, you know, I, I had kind of, I, I was kind of a, at a crisscrosses in my career as well. And I was kind of thinking, okay, so what can I do with this now? I have all this, you know, 15 years of research, uh, you know, carrying in, carrying it on, on my shoulders. Um, I have this, all this, uh, the, all these discoveries that I personally did as, as a PhD student as well. What do I do now? And a limited contract, basically. So this is kind of, a, I had a limited contract with the university, basically. So um, I only had kind of six months to decide what I want to do with it. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned, since I read the the, um, the my PhD description, a company was kind of brewing in the back of my mind. Um, but actually, uh, a year and a half ago, I um, when I was trying to make that decision, I attended the Dragon's Den in Future Worlds. And uh, after seeing everyone on stage interacting with the investors, uh, I just kind of, I felt, you know, it, during the show, I felt I was there with them. And I thought to myself, that feeling is just amazing. I can, I can do that. I would like to, I would like to feel that as well. Um, so that's kind of that. I think that was the moment that kind of started everything. Because after that, I kind of I, I went through Future World's door, and you know, a year later, here we are. I know from from walking through the journey with you that it's not it's not always been straightforward. What have been some of the challenges in that last year, eighteen months that you've been working on it? What have been some of the real challenges for you? So it's important to mention at this stage that I am, uh, you know, uh, I started this as a scientist overall. So I was, you know, five years cooked up in a lab, forgotten by the world, not interacting with anyone, uh, just in a tiny, tiny, small, dark room, basically, right? Uh, and then I, 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 uh, <clears throat> I started this and it uh it's kind of a 180 degree change for me uh because you you need to start interacting with people uh first of all second of all you need to start um understanding how actually the real world works not uh not how the the you know our tiny universe in the lab actually works um it was uh, a, a lot of up and downs and uh you know, I I really enjoyed uh, the learning curve and just uh, you know learning everything that I I, I needed to learn about creating a, a startup overall. Obviously, as you mentioned, there are a couple of uh, <clears throat> uh, pitfalls as well, uh, and that making that transition from a scientific mentality to a commercial or entrepreneurial uh, set set of mind. What do you see as some of the key? differences so you talk about a, a commercial mindset rather than an academic one what are some of the things that you've had to to change so definitely in terms of of the academic mindset you're kind of you know you you when you're in the lab you're doing this for for the pure enjoyment of uh, being there in the lab and just creating something new that when you take uh, take it out of the lab and you step in that entrepreneurial world uh, your priority needs to focus a bit you need to realize that other people are going to depend on on what you do as well and uh, that obviously when you're talking with investors they have a single priority and that is how to make money out of it basically so in, in that sense it's very you know when you when you're talking as a scientist you uh, <clears throat> kind of try to explain what the technology is. You really focus a lot on the technology side of things uh, and how wonderful it is and how it's going to save the world. 
but then you step into uh, entrepreneurial shoes and suddenly the technology is not that relevant anymore is only only thing that kind of matter is okay so how do you build a business out of it how do you make a profit how do you break supply chains yeah it's a difference between okay let's make a business out of this and uh this technology is just cool i want to work with it uh and that those are kind of the two different mindsets that uh i, I kind of i need even today i need to switch switch between them every so often and and how's that process been for you kind of what's helped you uh, on that process it was um, a, a lot of things, actually. So uh, there was definitely, um, um, first of all, it was my my mentors. Uh, so the mentors actually have having a mentor as as a startup is crucial because it's they just can simply guide you in the right direction. So obviously, I had no idea not only about the mindset, but I had no idea what I need to do to actually do a startup. I didn't knew that you know you need to protect your intellectual property. I didn't knew you need to go to a to some accountants or a lawyer to actually incorporate the company and so on and so forth, all the small details. I had no idea I had to do that. So obviously a, a mentor was extremely useful uh, when it came to that. On top of it, I was uh, uh, really lucky on getting on a couple of accelerators as well. The the constant interactions with, with future worlds and other founders as well. So those are kind of the three elements that kind of helped me in my journey. There were overall interaction with the mentors uh, accelerator programs and uh, interaction with future worlds and other founders uh, like myself. And have you got any any examples of kind of key points where you can look back and say that was a defining point that really made a difference? Well, first of all, CES last year that was the the biggest defining point for Aquar Technology. I think uh, that for me, for personally, for me, that is where where uh, Aquar was uh, was born, uh, and that was I was born as an entrepreneur. Basically, the fact that uh, it was that moment of change for me, you know, get out of the lab and uh, start talking with uh, very big, important people from the British government, for example, try to explain them what your vision is. Um, beyond that, um, another important uh, uh, step in stone was um, uh, filing a patent. That was uh, another big one for myself. Uh, the two accelerators uh, starting and going through the two, two accelerators that just kind of rooted me down in the, in the creation of the startup. And actually, surprisingly, and this is a, a bit of a funny story, actually, uh, following the, you know, after you kind of start to, to get momentum behind the company, uh, you, uh, you, you're starting to get investors contacting you rather than you contacting them. Uh, and I remember I was, I, I was, I was kind of, I, as uh, you said uh, previously as well, there were a lot of up and downs. So I don't get me wrong. I, I, I did thought a lot of times that I, I would quit basically doing this. Uh, but uh, what happened in that is that at some point I was, I was traveling, I was uh, in the car and I had an investor calling me uh, for a meeting in five minutes, a uh, very urgent one because they were really excited about the opportunity of, of working together. And I remember stopping in a gas station uh, and getting in the back of my car, putting a virtual background in the on the webcam and having that discussion 20 minutes in the back of the car. I was actually somewhere in between the border of France and Germany at that stage, basically, right? So in the middle of nowhere. Um, and that is where I realized, you know, if I've done that, then... Uh, yeah, that's it. This is my future. That's what's going to be. That was the the moment where... 
you know, I thought to myself, quitting is not an option anymore. And that's the thing, isn't it? As you go on this journey, you have these bizarre moments where you're talking to these incredible people, but you're often in the most bizarre places while you're having that conversation like that in the back of a car and sort of trying to keep a straight face and, and be as professional as you can be. But all in the background, you're just trying to hack it together and make it work. So how were you different as a result of your experience at CES last year? You say that was the kind of the making of you as, as an entrepreneur. Uh, well, I realized that uh, yeah, as a scientist, you're a bit more, um, let's say, timid. You're a bit more uh, kind of closed up. You you don't really go out. You you don't really interact with people that much. As an entrepreneur, everything changed, and you need to be confident. You need to be able to explain what you're trying to do. Uh, you you need to be able to get other people excited as you are about what what you have and about your vision overall. So that's that is kind of a, a 180 degree change overall in in terms of personality that you need to achieve. That definitely changed me. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot of work to do in that regard, but uh, I'm definitely more confident. I'm, I'm uh, more comfortable about uh, speaking about myself, about my experiences, about the technology and about Aquark's vision. And I'm also more comfortable doing that with, with people that, you know, you, you look at their profile and you, you think, why would that person talk with me? You know, he's probably worth hundreds of millions. And you kind of feel sometimes you feel small, but you need to get past that and um, I, yeah, definitely changed me as, as a person, as an individual. And I know that last year you met a number of big corporates and you know, directors in big corporates, government minister that you, you spoke with, directors within the Department for International Trade, big investors. So having had that experience, suddenly you came out of the lab, you, you're thrown into the middle of all of this. How did it feel as you were returning back home, back to the lab after that experience? I'm not going to lie. When I was going through it, I felt um, exhausted. There were so many feelings that I, I didn't really know what to feel. Basically, I was both excited and scared and uh, super happy and traumatized and depressive, but excited. And it was just, it was, yeah, I, you can't really put a name to it. Now, when Everything, you know, when everything calmed down and uh, I look back, you know, at, at the experience overall, um, it's just it left me with a very, very nice memory of it. I mean, it's, I was kind of looking forward to going back to uh, to CS Live this year as well. It's all digital now, but I'm hoping next year is, is going to happen again. Uh, it's just it's an indescribable feeling. You're kind of. You know, it, it did surprise me a couple of times, and I was kind of, you know, look looking at through Google Maps of, hey, I've actually, that, you know, that's I've I've been here, and everything happened there, and it's kind of a nice feeling, you know, just looking over what happened because whilst you're doing it, you don't even realize what's what's happening, but then when it sinks in, you're um, you're starting to appreciate the the magnitude and the uh, uh, importance of of what just happened, basically. And there's a real kind of stepping stone nature to entrepreneurship and launching a startup. So, so that got you a certain way forward. You, you got your confidence up, your mindset changed. You had this exposure to the market. And from there, then you, you got the patent cycle through within the university. But you also then you mentioned the accelerator. You got into Seraphim Space Camp. Tell me about that. Oh, that was a very uh, interesting and very beneficial experience for myself. So it's kind of that that was my my first accelerator um, and it was specifically designed for for space application. 
but more than anything else, it was designed for teaching us and teaching myself how to, uh, you know, from from zero to hero when it comes to leading and building a startup, basically. So I learned there uh, how to, you know, how to keep the accountancy for a com- for a startup, how to think of different things. Actually, my view of the market changed quite a lot after talking with with some of the people there. Uh, it's kind of kind of went on with a vision and came out with a business plan. Basically, that's kind of essentially what happened in in that accelerator, which is uh, what allowed me to to proceed with uh, with uh, creating uh, Aquark and bringing investment in. That's fantastic, and I know you, you met a number of big corporates, potential partners, and customers that you could you could carry forward from there as well. And then you mentioned another one, so you went into Creative Destruction Labs as well. Tell me about that experience. Uh, that's a bit different than than the Seraphim one, actually, and I think it's a bit different because Creative Destruction Labs Accelerator was was created a bit more on, uh, let's say, human interaction. It's is really beneficial if you'd actually be there, and then it's originated in Toronto. Obviously, we couldn't fly to 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 Toronto uh, to Canada this uh, because of the current situation with the world. Uh, but um, it's it so it, that happened online as well. Uh, that was that was extremely good. That was a bit more focused on rather than the business itself, which is what what Seraphim, uh, uh, what what the Seraphim Space Camp taught me is how to run a business, no matter what kind of business it is. Um, the, the the Creative Destruction Labs uh, Accelerator actually it was a bit more focused on the quantum side. So uh, it offered me a very good view of the market, uh, a very good view of the. A split of quantum technologies because, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of discussion, we have uh, we have the computing, we have the sensing, we have uh, 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 cryptography, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, uh, and how are those valued? What are the market trends? And how do we need to pivot as a company in order to be most successful in the current market? Yeah, that's fantastic. And so you've done all of this really in the last year, from the last CES to this CES. Can how would you characterize the difference in that in that one year? How far have you come? How have you changed since the last CES to this CES? Well, that's a difficult question. It's uh, it's really hard to, hard to to look back at my my own journey and uh, give a self valuation, basically. Uh, but I guess when we when we draw the line, is uh, you know we're almost ready to receive investment at this point. Uh, we're we're closing up in uh, in finishing the the spin out process. Uh, from University of Southampton, uh, we are getting more and more people interested. We have potential clients. We have the, the industrial partners. So uh, I think it was a quite good previous year, and um, I think you know it's uh, it, it kind of uh, it it was a satisfying and successful overall, despite the the world situation that uh, that's currently going on. Um, more than that, I, I I don't know. I'm I've, obviously there's still a, a lot of things to learn. I, I wouldn't say I, uh, I I can't really say see it myself how much I personally evolved in this journey. It's very difficult to to pinpoint that. Uh, but it's um, it, I'm definitely looking forward for this journey to continue. And so you talk about the journey continuing. What does this 2021? What does it have in store for you? Uh, so uh, we don't know, but I am definitely hoping that Aquark will, will be able to receive investment, apply for a couple of grants, and actually, you know, start working. Uh, that's uh, we we need to get going, and uh, that that's about it. More than that, time will tell. And so, 
again, just looking back, you, you talk about this kind of big shift. You're kind of emerging as an entrepreneur, having been a researcher in academia. Uh, so looking back, what kind of advice do you wish you could have given yourself maybe a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? If I would be able to go back in time and, and give my, myself uh, a piece of advice, it's definitely, it definitely would be uh, don't, start, don't make a startup by yourself. Go find yourself a uh, co-founder and from the beginning, from the start. Obviously, I kind of uh, I'm working on bringing on a, a co-founder now in uh, in Acquire Technologies to to kind of share the the workload. Uh, but uh, I, if I would do if if I would be able to get into a time machine and send send a message back to myself, this would be it. It's uh, extremely complex. It is. Um, um it, it's an extremely complex process and you as a human being only have 24 hours 24 hours in a day uh it's definitely worth having another if not two other people with you going through this journey uh because you will find a lot of people you will find a lot of different opinions uh you'll fi- find a lot of different askings and it's very good to find some uh, another person uh to go uh, through this journey with you, especially if you, c- you can complement each other, if you can bring something else to the table, uh, because that will just make interactions with anyone externally so much more easier. Uh, so yeah, that, that would be it. Uh, find a co-founder. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my uh, my big message to myself in the past. Cool. And I guess that that really speaks to how tough it has been for you and how much you've had to really push hard. Lots of people just see the great, exciting outcomes and they don't see all of the blood, sweat and tears that go into it behind the scenes. And I guess that advice comes from that experience and the, 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 the challenge and the perseverance that you've had to show in order to get to this point. Given that, what is it that's given you the motivation to do that? Why, why bother with that? What, what, what is it that's given you the drive to want to do that? Oh, personally, uh, well, first of all, you're completely correct. That, that, that is where my advice comes from. It's from the long uh, sleepless nights, basically. And uh, don't get me wrong, with a co-founder, it would have been exactly the same. I mean, I don't think I would have put any type of, you know, less work into it. Uh, but you know, it would have been much easier to go through with someone else that goes through it with you as well at the same time. Now, my personal motivation overall and what makes me go through this is that from a very uh, small age, I always want to, I wanted to make an impact on, on the world, on the society somewhat. So now I, all, I have the opportunity because of the discoveries that I managed to achieve during my PhD studies. And uh, that, that's kind of what, what drives me, what, what uh, pushes me to, to do this and bring my inventions or, uh, and future Aquark inventions into the world. So that's kind, kind of how success would look for me. The moment, uh, you know, we're going to have our technology in a car, a plane, a satellite, something, something that, you know, the society uses overall, and that brings a you know make, makes the world a bit of a better place. Then uh, that that's kind of how success looks for me in uh, through through Acorn. 
Andre, thank you so much for sharing your story with you. We could go on for hours and I know there's so many stories that you could tell. We're going to bring it to a close, but but thank you. You are a great example of the exceptionally talented scientists and engineers that we can support to turn that groundbreaking research that you've been working on into startups that really can change the world. You're a great example of that. And, and to, to hear that passion and motivation for achieving that impact is, is so encouraging. So I would encourage all of you, if you're listening, uh, take a leaf out of Andre's book. It's not easy. It's not always uh, straightforward on the path, but you just never know as you take that first step where that may lead you to and how things may open up as you start to pursue that dream. So thank you for listening today. Uh, This has been the Future Worlds podcast. Do look at futureworlds.com, look at Aquark Technologies. Uh, We're going to continue sharing more of these stories from the founders behind the great startups we have at CES this year. So thank you very much.